It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Eric, we've been walking through these heroic moments in history, which is probably a bad title because we're not actually talking about moments. We're talking about more people. But would you give us a just a reminder of what we mean by heroism, just this heroic living? Yeah, it's funny because we're in, was this the fourth one we've done? And if you asked me to say how I've described this in the previous ones, it's a blur. But I... We've, I think we were, we've been referring to it as the Elisha principle, or maybe I should say the Elisha hero principle. And that is that Elisha is going to see not the Syrian army in front of him, which is a grave threat to a man and his servant, right? How are you going to fight against a, an entire army? But he doesn't see that. He sees something different. It's the very thing that we're supposed to see when a Syrian army or whatever your replacement danger is, is standing before you. And that is he sees a mountain full of horses and chariots of fire all around. And when you see the mountain full of horses and chariots all around, you behave differently. And that principle of behaving differently, even in the, in the face of an extreme danger, an extreme challenge, is what we're calling biblical heroism. In other words, there is natural man heroism, but then there is this higher echelon of heroism that the men and women that we esteem throughout history have walked in. That's what I think you and I deeply desire in our life is we're staring at a, at a culture that is mocking us and is saying, shut up. <laughs> you know, you guys have nothing to give to us anymore. You're expired goods. This whole idea of Christianity is passe. And we feel a mounting evil coming against us. And I'm not just speaking for the two of us. I, I, we're symbolic of the church right now, which feels very small, very weak. We feel like Elisha with his servant, you know, it's like, alas, my master, (laughs) we're surrounded. What are we supposed to do here? What we need are those glasses to see God is in complete control. If you and I conclude right now that God is in complete control and that he is surrounding us with his angelic host, which by the way, is three times greater than the enemies who got what one third of the angelic host that he took with him, which means God has double the the forces. Is that right? Did Uh I do my math? So I said, okay, yeah, double. All right. He has double the forces, and he's God. Why would we be trepidatious? Why would we be trembling? Why would we be fearful? We wouldn't. And we would act in accordance with that vision. And that's what we've been building on. So our different characters, what do we have? C.T. Studd. Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott. Gladys Elward. Gladys Elward. That's how they walked. And that's, I think, why we gravitate to their stories. We're like, what did they have? And what we're saying in a summary in and through this series is they had heroism, biblical heroism. They had the glasses of Elisha. Or one way that I love to just describe it is just, it's faith. It's keeping your gaze on Jesus, regardless of what the natural realm was doing. So in in our world today, it is so easy to look at everything around us and just be like, oh no. But what, as you're saying, what would, what would it look like if we kept our gaze on Jesus? One of the people that we want to talk through in this episode is really one of our favorites. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know how to say that. <laughs> All of these are our favorites. What? You picked one that isn't one of my favorites. <laughs> but it's interesting that this guy actually lived in our lifetime. Yeah. I mean, he died several years ago, but he at least lived in our lifetime. And it's Richard Wormbrandt. Could yeah. you, you have these great stories of how he has impacted your life, but we even just share one of those of just, when you first came and heard Richard Wormbrandt, I remember you said it was like this old video mm-hmm. movie and he had no shoes on, but what, 
what is it about his story? What is it about his life that has made an impact on oh, you? Yeah, so many things. That's a multi-layered question. I, I, I remember, I wasn't prepared for that, but I do remember my brother having a videotape and he's like, you have to see this. And he puts it in and it's Richard Wormer. I didn't know who the guy was. It's just sort of an odd character, right? And he was up on a stage, no shoes on. And I, I was so impacted. In fact, that was a turning point in my life where I remember, I remember hearing his story of being in prison, tortured for Christ. And I remember saying to God, I want what that man has. And what he had was like this genuine fervor and love and kindness and gentleness. It was like the real deal. It's like I, I felt like I was seeing Jesus in the modern day. And I felt like God in his creative communication back to me as Eric are you willing to go through what he went through to get it? <laughs> and that was a key moment for me to recognize that this is a result of something. This is a result of God working in a man to bring a man to the place where he can truly show Jesus Christ. And I would like to say that my answer was a quick yes. It was a delayed yes, but it has been yes. Yes, Lord. I want it, but I'm scared when I ask for it. I, I, I really want that. That is what I crave more than anything. And Richard Wormbrand, I think there's multiple stories that have greatly impacted me. If I was going to pick one, because I know we have, I think, at least three to rotate through here. Okay, I'm going to pick that first one before he's thrown into prison. You guys, you mind if I steal no, that please. one? Because that's just, that's it's good. good. That yeah. might be the, I don't know if it's the best. It's a really good one. But it does set the stage for the rest of his life, too. Yeah. I mean, there's, it was a key decision moment for him. It's a defining watershed moment that's yeah. going to end him in prison, being tortured. And being separated from his wife and his son. I mean, it's a huge deal. And But he's at this gathering where all these religious leaders were being called. They, they were basically being proven before the communist regime. So the KGB is in the front row. They're all watching to see if these pastors or religious leaders will listen. Well, they'll heed the communist agenda. And Richard Wormbrand is hearing pastor after pastor get up and blaspheme. They're saying the opposite of the word of God to appease this power that they, everyone knows if they stand against it, they will be crushed. And Richard Wormbrandt cannot, you know, sit still. And his wife looks over at him and says, and this isn't a direct quote. This is the way I remember the quote. It's, it seems to have been, uh, you know, changed on me somewhere <laughs> along the line. But Richard, will you not do something? Will you not wipe the spit from the face of Christ? And then Richard says, if I stand up and say something, they will kill me. And the way I remember it is I would rather be married to a dead man than a coward. And I've always really liked that rendition of it. That is so powerful. What, do you remember what, you know, what Voice of the Martyrs says she said? Uh, I don't remember the actual quote, but it's... it's it... So this could be the way we, we landed. <laughs> everyone, everyone out there can remember the way I remember it. Uh, but that, then he got thrown into prison. He did. He stood up and spoke. I mean, what a place to speak. Now that is heroic to stand in front of the communist regime in a country to go on radio across your country and to stand for truth, even though, you know, it's going to cost you your life. Wow. That is good. He was prisoner number one in Romania. <laughs> oh, that's good. And ended up being in solitary confinement for what was it, 12 years, 14 years? Philip always knows the answer to that. I, know, I, was, that? I had that thought. I'm like, where's Philip? <laughs> where's Philip? <laughs> uh, in fact, that, that story made such an impact on Philip's life yeah. that he named his daughter Sabina yeah. uh, after Richard's wife just because of that story, uh, stirring story. Uh, I, I love just that picture and his willingness to endure incredible torture 
Uh, one of my other favorite stories, uh, I'll let you share the chains because you have oh, several sermons I like, on it. I like that one. Uh, but I love that, that story where he's getting beaten because he's sharing the gospel with his fellow cellmates. And there's this great quote in the book, Torture for Christ, where he said that he and the guards made this, made this pact, they made a deal, that he would preach and they would beat him because he preached. And the way he says it is just delightful. He's just like, so I was happy preaching. They were happy beating me. Everyone was happy. <laughs> There's such a perspective in that, that in the midst of, and it wasn't like a great jail cell, right? It's not great prison environments. It's not like, you know, America cushy uh, imprisonment. There, there's no, <clears throat> there, there's no warmth. There's no great food. And you're in solitary confinement for so long. So when you're with someone, you're sharing the gospel and yet you're being incredibly tortured and just suffering incredible pain to the point, as you already mentioned, that he was never able to wear shoes again because he he couldn't stand that pressure uh, on his feet. That is just, and yet, yet there is such a joy of being willing to suffer for the cause of Christ, which is what you see if you read Fox's book of Martyrs or Martyr's yeah. Mirror. There was such a pleasure and an, uh, an excitement to suffer for yeah. Jesus Christ, just to reflect the suffering he had on on our behalf. You want to talk about the chains because yeah. you have several messages just on that idea. Well, I think even this picture, you know how we keep going back to the Elisha principle? This is, it could be called the the prison chains principle because it's the same thing. It's it's a different lens towards something. When we see Elisha standing in front of the Syrian army, he looks like a crazy man being confident, but he's not crazy if he sees something more. And that's right. Richard Wormbrandt when he got out of prison was asked, you know, about his time in prison, he makes this shocking statement to everyone because everyone knew the, you know, the communist guards were hateful, spiteful, evil. And he says, well, yeah, the guards gave us uh, instruments. And with those instruments, we praise the Lord. And everyone's looking around going, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me clarify this. The guards gave you instruments? Yes. And with those, with those instruments, we praise the Lord. What you know, everyone's thinking a tambourine, you know, a tuba. What, what they gave you instruments. <laughs> the instruments that they gave them were their chains, and with those chains, they praise the Lord. I mean, that has always had a significant impact on me because there's circumstances in my life where I have real impediments, real chains on my life, difficulty. And to remember Richard Wormbrandt and that simple statement, it's like, yeah, I've been given a worship instrument. These very chains can be turned into something very different if I just look at them through the lens of Christ instead of the way the devil wants me to see this. The devil's like, ha ha, you see, I got you in chains. And I'm like, ha ha, God has given me an instrument with which to praise the Lord. That's so good. <clears throat> so this session or this episode is titled Nothing with Richard Wormbrandt. Yeah, everyone's which is like, what is this? Like, Did they mistitle this? <laughs> but it's Athanasius Contramundum. Richard Wormbrandt symbolizes something, and we've often used Athanasius and, and his circumstance as a great picture of the Christian life. And I think mm-hmm. with what is going on in our modern day with the craziness and the, the, all the fear that's being pushed on and the anti-God pressure of culture coming upon the church, we're, we're in a day where Christians need a stand. Just as Richard had a stand in front of the communist regi- regime, so too we're going to have to be light in the midst of darkness. Do you want to talk just about that Athanasius concept, and why is that, mm-hmm. maybe how's it related to Richard, but yeah. why is that so important for our day? Yeah, well, first of all, the Athanasius Contramundum, sort of a famous phrase throughout Christian history, and it goes all the way back to around, what, the 300s, uh, the 4th century, 
when uh, the Arian heresy, which is the the removal of Jesus's deity, you know, in other words, just bring him down more to the level of a man as opposed to being God. And it was a big, staggering challenge to the church back then. And Athanasius just wouldn't go for it. He would. He stood on the the fact that Jesus was God, and he would not bend on it. And as legend would have it, he was exiled five times. I don't know how you could be exiled five times. I've thought that through a few times. Like it seems like once would be enough. But supposedly he was exiled five times and that even Constantine came up to him once and said, Athanasius, you know, the world is against you. Will you not recant? And he says, uh, well, if the world is against me, then Athanasius is against the world. So in Latin, that means Athanasius contra mundum. And that's a profound statement. I think whenever someone hears that, to, to hear a man who's willing to stand against the world, the world is against you, Nathan Johnson. The world is against you, Eric Ludi. Well, then... Nathan Johnson and Eric Ludy, I, I guess, are against the world because I can't change my position. I'm standing with Jesus. And that's what Richard Wormbrandt represents, which is why we named this one Athanasius Contramundum, is he just would not go with the world. Every other pastor did. You know, they're just like, they, they were all falling to pieces, and he inspired a generation of pastors in Romania because every single one of them was just beginning to slide away. And then he stood up in the midst of that gathering, and that inspired them all to say, yes. We cannot go in that direction. Richard saw something greater. He saw the worthiness of Christ. He saw that it was worth his life. And he inspired us. And as a result, we too are inspired to stand as Athanasius stood, to stand as Richard stood, whether it was before prison or even during prison. Right. Uh, it's interesting. Jesus in John chapter 3 is talking to Nicodemus. And in verse 19, he says, Light has come to the world. And yet men, because they love their darkness, because their deeds were evil, have actually rejected and refused that light. It is amazing that light actually is offensive when you're in darkness. Mm. That when light shines in your face, when your eyes are adjusted to the dark, it actually, it's painful and it's, it's offensive. So we shouldn't be surprised when a dark world is actually against Christ. We, yeah. we shouldn't be surprised that we're facing trials and persecution. Yet we are still called to be light in the midst of darkness, that city on a hill, that, that light that's not to be put under a bushel. Mm-hmm. Eric, I just thought it'd be a neat way maybe just to finish this particular episode. Uh, we live in a time period when there's a lot of craziness and a lot of fear and a lot of darkness, yet there's always hope because God is still in control. Mm. Would you pray just for those who are listening that we would actually be light in the midst of darkness, that we would have that resolute uh, fervor that Richard or Athanasius had that regardless of what the world is doing, uh, regardless of the pressure or the persecution, that we would actually stand for truth, keep our gaze upon Christ, and be light in the midst of a dark world. Amen. Father, we need something more than we have, and we know where to get it. It's in you. It's found in your work. It's found in your uh, inheritance. It's found in the supply that you give to us via the Holy Spirit. And so, Lord, we open up our hands, we open up our hearts, we open up our lives, and we say, Lord Jesus, come and move in, move in a more active way in us, in a greater way in us. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen our feeble knees, that you would cause us to stand when others are seated. You would cause us to speak when others are silent. Lord, I pray that that greater boldness would enter into us as the church, just as it did into the early church when they asked for it. Lord, we need it, and we need it now, and we ask for it in the name and the authority of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. 
Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellersley.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.